From Eric Public Media and the Alaska Ice Corporation, this is the podcast Wikiredia, wherein we read from start to finish, without comment or commentary, the Wikipedia entries that we find most interesting. Today's topic is Area 51. The original Wikipedia page lives at www.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash area underscore 51, and we're tapping into this text under the Creative Commons license, which permits adaptation and retransmission of original work, provided that attribution is made. Wikiredia is similarly distributed under the same Creative Commons license. One last thing. Before we start, we want to know what your favorite Wikipedia pages are. Please send suggestions for future episodes to wikiredia at pm.me. This is Area 51, Wikiredia episode number 304, date of production February 15th, 2023, and I'm your host, Eric Chorus. Let's get started. Area 51. Area 51 is the common name of a highly classified United States Air Force facility within the Nevada Test and Training Range. A remote detachment administered by Edwards Air Force Base, the facility is officially called Homey Airport or Groom Lake after the salt flat next to the airfield. Details of its operation are not made public, but the U.S. Air Force says that it is an open training range and is commonly thought to support the development and testing of experimental aircraft and weapon systems. The U.S. Air Force, USAF, and the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, acquired the site in 1955, primarily for testing, flight testing, the Lockheed U-2 aircraft. The intense secrecy surrounding the base has made it the frequent subject of conspiracy theories and a central component of unidentified flying object, UFO, folklore. It has never been declared a secret base, but all research and occurrences in Area 51 are top secret slash sensitive compartmented information, TSSCI. The CIA publicly acknowledged the base's existence on June 25, 2013, following a Freedom of Information Act request filed in 2005, and declassified documents detailing its history and purpose. Area 51 is located in the southern portion of Nevada, 83 miles north-northwest of Las Vegas. The surrounding area is a popular tourist destination, including the small town of Rachel on the extraterrestrial highway. Geography Area 51 the original rectangular base of 6 by 10 miles is now part of the so-called Groom Box, a rectangular area measuring 23 by 25 miles of restricted airspace. The area is connected to the internal Nevada test site road network with paved roads leading south to Mercury and west to Yucca Flat. Leading northeast from the lake, the wide and well-maintained Groom Lake Road runs through a pass in the jumbled hills. The road formerly led to mines in the Groom Basin, but thus has been improved since their closure. Its winding course runs past a security checkpoint, but the restricted area around the base extends farther east. 
After leaving the restricted area, Groom Lake Road descends eastward to the floor of the Tickaboo Valley, passing the dirt road entrances to several small ranches, before converging with State Route 375, the extraterrestrial highway south of Rachel. Area 51 shares a border with the Yucca Flat region of the Nevada test site, the location of 739 of the 928 nuclear tests conducted by the United States Department of Energy. The Yucca Mountain Nuclear Waste Repository is southwest of Groom Lake. Groom Lake is a salt flat in Nevada used for runways of the Nellis Bombing Range Test Site Airport on the north of the Area 51 United States Air Force military installation. The lake at 4,409 feet elevation is approximately three and three quarters miles from north to south and three miles from east to west at its widest point. Located within the namesake Groom Lake Valley portion of the Tonopah Basin, the lake is 25 miles south of Rachel, Nevada. History the origin of the name Area 51 is unclear. It is believed to be from an Atomic Energy Commission numbering grid, although Area 51 is not part of this system. It is, however, adjacent to Area 15. Another explanation is that 51 was used because it was unlikely that the AEC would use that number. According to the Central Intelligence Agency, the correct names for the facility are Homey Airport and Groom Lake, though the name Area 51 was used in a CIA document from the Vietnam War. The facility has also been referred to as Dreamland and Paradise Ranch, among other nicknames, with the former also being the approach control call sign for the surrounding area. The U.S. Air Force Public Relations has referred to the facility as, quote, an operating location near Groom Dry Lake. The special use airspace around the field is referred to as Restricted Area 4808 North. Lead and silver were discovered in the southern part of Groom Range in 1864, and the English company Groom Lead Mines Limited financed the Conception Mines in the 1870s, giving the district its name. Nearby mines included Maria, Willow, and White Lake. J.B. Osborne and Partners acquired the controlling interest in Groom in 1876, and Osborne's son acquired it in the 1890s. Mining continued until 1918, then resumed after World War II until the early 1950s. The airfield on Groom Lake site began service in 1942 as Indian Springs Air Force Auxiliary Field and consisted of two unpaved 5,000-foot runways. U2 program. The Central Intelligence Agency established the Groom Lake Test Facility in April 1955 for Project Aquatone, the development of the Lockheed U2 strategic reconnaissance aircraft. Project Director Richard M. Bissell Jr. understood that the flight test and pilot training programs could not be conducted at Edwards Air Force Base or Lockheed's Palmdale facility given the extreme secrecy surrounding the project. He conducted a search for a suitable testing site for the U-2 under the same extreme security as the rest of the project. He notified Lockheed 
who then sent an inspection team out to Groom Lake. According to Lockheed's U-2 designer, Kelly Johnson, quote, we flew over it and within 30 seconds, you knew that this was the place. It was right by a dry lake, man alive. We looked at that lake and we looked at each other. It was another Edwards. So we wheeled around, landed on that lake, taxied up to one end of it. It was a perfect natural landing field, as smooth as a billiard table without anything being done to it. The lake bed made an ideal strip for testing aircraft, and the Emigrant Valley's mountain ranges and the NTS perimeter protected the site from visitors. It was about 100 miles north of Las Vegas. The CIA asked the AEC to acquire the land, designated Area 51 on the map, and added to the Nevada test site. Johnson then named the area Paradise Ranch to encourage workers to move to the new facility in the middle of nowhere, as the CIA later described it, and the name became shortened to the ranch. On May 4th, this announcer's birthday, 1955, a survey team arrived at Groom Lake and laid out a 5,000-foot north-south runway on the southwest corner of the lake bed and designated a site for a base support facility. The ranch initially consisted of little more than a few shelters, workshops, and trailer homes in which to house its small team. A little over three months later, the base consisted of a single paved runway, three hangars, a control tower, and rudimentary accommodations for test personnel. The base's few amenities included a movie theater and a volleyball court. There was also a mess hall, several wells, and fuel storage tanks. CIA, Air Force, and Lockheed personnel began arriving by July 1955. The ranch received its first U-2 delivery on July 24, 1955 from Burbank on a C-124 Globemaster II cargo plane, accompanied by Lockheed technicians on a Douglas DC-3. Regular military air transport service flights were set up between Area 51 and Lockheed's offices in Burbank, California. To preserve secrecy, personnel flew to Nevada on Monday mornings and returned to California on Friday evenings. Oxcart program. Project Oxcart was established in August 1959 for, quote, anti-radar studies, aerodynamic structural tests, and engineering designs, and all later work on the Lockheed A-12. This included testing at Groom Lake, which had inadequate facilities consisting of buildings for only 150 people, a 5,000-foot asphalt runway, and limited fuel, hangar, and shop space. Groom Lake had received the name Area 51 when A-12 test facility construction began in September 1960, including a new 8,500-foot runway to replace the existing runway. Reynolds Electric and Engineering Company, RECO, began construction of Project 51 on October 1, 1960, with double-shift construction schedules. The contractor upgraded base facilities and built a new 10,000-foot runway diagonally across the southwest corner of the lake bed. They marked a spiral on the dry lake approximately two miles across so that an A-12 pilot approaching the end of the overrun could abort instead of plunging into the sagebrush. Area 51 pilots called it the hook. For crosswind landings, they marked two unpaved airstrips, runways 927 and 321, on the dry lake bed. By August 1961, construction of the new essential facilities were complete. Three surplus Navy hangars were erected on the base's north side, while Hangar 7 was new construction. 
The original U-2 hangars were converted to maintenance and machine shops. Facilities in the main area included workshops and buildings for storage and administration, a commissary, a control tower, a fire station, and housing. The Navy also contributed more than 130 surplus Babbitt duplex housing units for long-term occupancy facilities. Older buildings were repaired and additional facilities were constructed as necessary. A reservoir pond surrounded by trees served as a recreational area one mile north of the base. Other recreational facilities included a gymnasium, a movie theater, and a baseball diamond. A permanent aircraft fuel tank farm was constructed by early 1962 for the special JP-7 fuel required by the A-12. Seven tanks were constructed with a total capacity of 1,320,000 gallons. Security was enhanced for the arrival of Oxcart, and the small mine was closed in the Groom Basin. In January 1962, the Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, expanded the restricted airspace in the vicinity of Groom Lake and the lake bed, became the center of a 600-square-mile addition to restricted area R-4808N. The CIA facility received eight U.S. Air Force Force F-101 Voodoos for training, two T-33 Shooting Star trainers for proficiency flying, a C-130 Hercules for cargo transport, a U-3A for administrative purposes, a helicopter for search and rescue, and a Cessna 180 for liaison use, and Lockheed provided an F-104 Starfighter for use as a chase plane. The first A-12 test aircraft was covertly trucked from Burbank on February 26, 1962 and arrived at Groom Lake on February 28th. It made its first flight on April 26, 1962, when the base had over 1,000 personnel. The closed airspace above Groom Lake was within Nellis Air Force Range airspace, and pilots saw the A-12 20 to 30 times. Groom was also the site of the first Lockheed D-21 drone test flight on December 22, 1964. By the end of 1963, nine A-12s were at Area 51, assigned to the CIA-operated 1129th Special Activities Squadron. The D-21 Tag Board Following the loss of Gary Powers' U-2 over the Soviet Union, there were several discussions about using the A-12 Oxcart as an unpiloted drone aircraft. Although Kelly Johnson had come to support the idea of drone reconnaissance, he opposed the development of an A-12 drone, contending that the aircraft was too large and complex for such a conversion. However, the Air Force agreed to fund the study of a high-speed, high-altitude drone aircraft in 19, October 1962. The Air Force interest seems to have moved the CIA to take action, the project designated Q-12. By October 1963, the drone's design had been finalized. At the same time, the Q-12 underwent a name change. To, separa to separate it from the other A-12-based projects, it was renamed the D-21. The 12 was reversed to 21. Tagboard was the project's codename. 
The first D-21 was completed in the spring of 1964 by Lockheed. After four more months of checkouts and static tests, the aircraft was shipped to Groom Lake and reassembled. It was to be carried by a two-seat derivative of the A-12, designated the M-21. When the D-21-M-21 reached the launch point, the first step would be to blow off the D-21's inlet and exhaust covers. With the D-21-M-21 at the correct speed and altitude, the LCO would start the ramjet and other systems of the D-21. Quote, with the D-21 systems activated and running, and the launch aircraft at the correct point, the M-21 would begin a slight pushover, the LCO would push a final button, and the D-21 would come off the pylon. Difficulties were addressed throughout 1964 and 1965 at Groom Lake with various technical issues. Captive flights showed unforeseen aerodynamic difficulties. By late January 1966, more than a year after the first captive flight, everything seemed ready. The first D-21 launch was made on March 5, 1966 with a successful flight and with the D-21 flying 120 miles with limited fuel. A second D-21 flight was successful in April 1966 with a drone flying 1,200 miles, reaching Mach 3.3 and 90,000 feet. An accident on July 30, 1966 with a fully fueled D-21 on a planned checkout flight suffered from an unstart of the drone after its separation, causing it to collide with the M-21 launch aircraft. The, crew, the two crewmen ejected and landed in the ocean 150 miles offshore. One crew member was picked up by helicopter, but the other, having survived the aircraft breakup and ejection, drowned when seawater entered his pressure suit. Kelly Johnson personally canceled the entire program, having had serious doubts about its feasibility from the start. A number of D-21s had already been produced, and rather than scrapping the whole effort, Johnson again proposed to the Air Force that they be launched from a B-52H bomber. By the summer of 1967, the modification work to both the D-21, now designated the D-21B, and the B-52Hs were complete. The test program could now resume. The test missions were flown out of Groom Lake with the actual launches over the Pacific. The first D-21B to be flown was Article 501, the prototype. The first attempt was made on September 28, 1967 and ended in complete failure. As the B-52 was flying toward the launch point, the D-21B fell off the pylon. The B-52H gave a sharp lurch as the drone fell free. The booster fired and was quite a sight from the ground. The failure was traced to a stripped nut on the forward right attachment point on the pylon. Several more tests were made, none of which met with success. However, the fact is that the resumptions of the D-21 tests took place against a changing reconnaissance background. The A-12 had finally been allowed to deploy, and the SR-71 was soon to replace it. At the same time, new developments in reconnaissance satellite technology were nearing operation. Up to this point, the limited number of satellites available restricted coverage to the Soviet Union. A new generation of reconnaissance satellites could soon cover targets anywhere in the world. The satellite's resolution would be comparable to that of aircraft, but without the slightest political risk. Time was running out for the tag board. 
Several more test flights, including two over China, were made from Beale Air Force Base, California in 1969 and 1970 to varying degrees of success. On July 15, 1971, Kelly Johnson received a wire canceling the D-21B program. The remaining drones were transferred by a C-5A and placed in dead storage. The tooling used to build the D-21Bs was ordered destroyed. Like the A-12 Oxcart, the D-21B tagboard drones remained a black airplane, even in retirement. Their existence was not suspected until April 1976, when the first group was placed in storage at the Davis-Monthan Air Force Base Military Storage and Disposition Center. A second group arrived in 1977. They were labeled GTD-21Bs. GT stood for ground training. Davis-Monthan is an open base with public tours of the storage area at the time, so the odd-looking drones were soon spotted and photos began appearing in magazines. Speculation about the D-21Bs circulated within aviation circles for years, and it was not until 1982 that details of the program were released. However, it was not until 1993 that the B-52-D-21B program was made public. That same year, the surviving D-21Bs were released to museums. The D-21 Tag Board Following the loss of Gary Powers' U-2 over the Soviet Union, there were several discussions about using the A-12 Oxcart as an unpiloted drone aircraft. Although Kelly Johnson had come to support the idea of drone reconnaissance, he opposed the development of an A-12 drone, contending that the aircraft was too large and complex for such a conversion. However, the Air Force agreed to fund the study of a high-speed, high-altitude drone aircraft in 19, October 1962. The Air Force interest seems to have moved the CIA to take action, the project designated Q-12. By October 1963, the drone's design had been finalized. At the same time, the Q-12 underwent a name change. To, separa to separate it from the other A-12-based projects, it was renamed the D-21. The 12 was reversed to 21. Tagboard was the project's codename. The first D-21 was completed in the spring of 1964 by Lockheed. After four more months of checkouts and static tests, the aircraft was shipped to Groom Lake and reassembled. It was to be carried by a two-seat derivative of the A-12, designated the M-21. When the D-21-M-21 reached the launch point, the first step would be to blow off the D-21's inlet and exhaust covers. With the D-21-M-21 at the correct speed and altitude, the LCO would start the ramjet and other systems of the D-21. Quote, with the D-21 systems activated and running, and the launch aircraft at the correct point, the M-21 would begin a slight pushover, the LCO would push a final button, and the D-21 would come off the pylon. Difficulties were addressed throughout 1964 and 1965 at Groom Lake with various technical issues. 
captive flights showed unforeseen aerodynamic difficulties. By late January 1966, more than a year after the first captive flight, everything seemed ready. The first D-21 launch was made on March 5, 1966, with a successful flight, and with the D-21 flying 120 miles with limited fuel. A second D-21 flight was successful in April 1966, with the drone flying 1,200 miles, reaching Mach 3.3 and 90,000 feet. An accident on July 30, 1966, with a fully fueled D-21 on a planned checkout flight, suffered from an unstart of the drone after its separation, causing it to collide with the M-21 launch aircraft. The, crew, the two crewmen ejected and landed in the ocean 150 miles offshore. One crew member was picked up by helicopter, but the other, having survived the aircraft breakup and ejection, drowned when seawater entered his pressure suit. Kelly Johnson personally canceled the entire program, having had serious doubts about its feasibility from the start. A number of D-21s had already been produced, and rather than scrapping the whole effort, Johnson again proposed to the Air Force that they be launched from a B-52H bomber. By the summer of 1967, the modification work to both the D-21, now designated the D-21B, and the B-52Hs were complete. The test program could now resume. The test missions were flown out of Groom Lake with the actual launches over the Pacific. The first D-21B to be flown was Article 501, the prototype. The first attempt was made on September 28, 1967 and ended in complete failure. As the B-52 was flying toward the launch point, the D-21B fell off the pylon. The B-52H gave a sharp lurch as the drone fell free. The booster fired and was quite a sight from the ground. The failure was traced to a stripped nut on the forward right attachment point on the pylon. Several more tests were made, none of which met with success. However, the fact is that the resumptions of the D-21 tests took place against a changing reconnaissance background. The A-12 had finally been allowed to deploy, and the SR-71 was soon to replace it. At the same time, new developments in reconnaissance satellite technology were nearing operation. Up to this point, the limited number of satellites available restricted coverage to the Soviet Union. A new generation of reconnaissance satellites could soon cover targets anywhere in the world. The satellite's resolution would be comparable to that of aircraft, but without the slightest political risk. Time was running out for the tag board. Several more test flights, including two over China, were made from Beale Air Force Base, California, in 1969 and 1970 to varying degrees of success. On July 15, 1971, Kelly Johnson received a wire canceling the D-21B program. The remaining drones were transferred by a C-5A and placed in dead storage. The tooling used to build the D-21Bs was ordered destroyed. Like the A-12 ox cart, the D-21B tagboard drones remained a black airplane, even in retirement. Their existence was not suspected until April 1976, when the first group was placed in storage at the Davis-Monthan Air Force Base Military Storage and Disposition Center. A second group arrived in 1977. They were labeled GTD-21Bs. GT stood for ground training. 
Davis Monthan is an open base with public tours of the storage area at the time, so the odd-looking drones were soon spotted and photos began appearing in magazines. Speculation about the D-21Bs circulated within aviation circles for years, and it was not until 1982 that details of the program were released. However, it was not until 1993 that the B-52-D-21B program was made public. That same year, the surviving D-21Bs were released to museums. Have Blue F-117 Program The Lockheed Have Blue prototype stealth fighter, a smaller proof-of-concept model of the F-117 Nighthawk, first flew at Groom in December 1977. In 1978, the Air Force awarded a full-scale development contract for the F-117 to Lockheed Corporation's Advanced Development Projects. On January 17, 1981, the Lockheed team at Area 51 accepted delivery of the first full-scale development prototype 79-780, designated YF-117A. At 6.05 a.m. on June 18, 1981, Lockheed Skunk Works test pilot Hal Farley lifted the nose of the YF-117A-79-780 off the runway of Area 51. Meanwhile, Tactical Air Command decided to set up a group-level organization to guide the F-117A to an initial operating capability. That organization became the 4450th Tactical Group, which officially activated on October 15, 1979 at Nellis Air Force Base, Nevada, although the group was physically located at Area 51. The 4450th TG also operated the A-7D Corsair II as a surrogate trainer for the F-17A, and these operations continued until October 15, 1982, under the guise of an avionics test mission. Flying squadrons of the 4450th TG were the 4450th Tactical Squadron, initially designated I-Unit, activated on June 11, 1981, and the 4451st Tactical Squadron, originally initially designated P-Unit, on January 15, 1983. The 4450th TS, stationed at Area 51, was the first F-117A squadron, while the 4451st TS was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base and was equipped with A-7D Corsair IIs, painted in a dark motif, tail-coated LV. Lockheed test pilots put the YF-117 through its early paces. A-7Ds were used for pilot training before any F-117As had been delivered by Lockheed to Area 51. Later, the A-7Ds were used for F-117A chase testing and other weapons tests at the Nellis Range. On October 15, 1982, Major Alton C. Whitley Jr. became the first U.S. Air Force Force 4450th TG pilot to fly the F-117A. Although ideal for testing, Area 51 was not a suitable location for an operational group, so a new covert base had to be established for F-117 operations. Tonopah Test Range Airport was selected for operations as the first U.S. Air Force F-117 unit, the 4450th Tactical Group. 
From October 1979, the Tonopah Airport base was reconstructed, reconstructed and expanded. The 6,000-foot runway was lengthened to 10,000 feet. Taxiways, a concrete apron, a large maintenance hangar, and a propane storage tank were added. By early 1982, four more YF-117As were operating at the base. After finding a large scorpion in their offices, the testing team, designated R-Unit, adopted it as their mascot and dubbed themselves the Baja Scorpions. Testing of a series of ultra-secret prototypes continued at Area 51 until mid-1981, when testing transitioned to the initial production of F-117 stealth fighters. The F-117s were moved to and from Area 51 by C-5s during darkness to maintain security. The aircraft were defueled, disassembled, crated, and then loaded aboard the C-5 at night, flown to Lockheed, and unloaded at night before reassembly and flight testing. Groom performed radar profiling, F-117 weapons testing, and training of the first group of frontline U.S. Air Force F-117 pilots. When the Baja Scorpions were working on the F-117, there was also another group at work in secrecy, known as the Whalers, working on Tacit Blue. A fly-by-wire technology demonstration aircraft with curved surfaces and composite material to evade radar was a prototype and never went into production. Nevertheless, this strange-looking aircraft was responsible for many of the stealth technology advances that were used on several other aircraft designs and had a direct influence on the B-2. With the first flight of Tacit Blue being performed on February 5, 1982 by Northrop Grumman, test pilot Richard G. Thomas. Production FSD airframes from Lockheed were shipped to Area 51 for acceptance testing. As the Baja Scorpions tested the aircraft with functional check flights and LO verification, the operational airplanes were then transferred to the 4450th TG. On May 17, 1982, the move of the 4450th TG from Groom Lake to Tonopah was initiated, with the final components of the move completed in early 1983. Production FSD airframes from Lockheed were shipped to Area 51 for acceptance testing. As the Baja Scorpions tested the aircraft with functional check flights and LO verification, the operational airplanes were then transferred to the 4450th TG at Tonopah. The R-Unit was inactivated on May 30, 1989. Upon inactivation, the unit was reformed as Detachment 1, 57th Flighter Weapons Wing. In 1990, the last F-17A 843 was delivered from Lockheed. After completion of acceptance flights at Area 51 of this new F-117 aircraft, the Flight Test Squadron continued flight test duties of refurbished aircraft after modifications by Lockheed. In February-March 1992, the test unit moved from Area 51 to the U.S. Air Force Palmdale Plant 42 and was integrated with the Air Force Systems Command 65th 10th Test Squadron. Some testing, especially RCS verification and other classified activity, was still conducted at Area 51 throughout the operational lifetime of the F-117.
The recently inactivated 410th Flight Test Squadron traces its roots, if not its formal lineage, to the 4450th TGR unit. Later operations. Since the F-117 became operational in 1983, operations at Groom Lake have continued. The base and its associated runway system were expanded, including the expansion of housing and support facilities. In 1995, the federal government expanded the exclusionary area around the base to include nearby mountains that had hitherto afforded the only decent overlook of the base, prohibiting access to 3,972 acres of land formerly administered by the Bureau of Land Management. On October 22, 2015, a federal judge signed an order giving land that belonged to a Nevada family since the 1870s to the United States Air Force for expanding Area 51. According to the judge, the land that overlooked the base was taken to address security and safety concerns connected with their training and testing. legal status. U.S. government's positions on Area 51. The United States government has provided minimal information regarding Area 51. The area surrounding the lake is permanently off-limits to both civilian and normal military air traffic. Security clearances are checked regularly. Cameras and weaponry are not allowed. Even military pilots training in the NAFR risk disciplinary action if they stray into the exclusionary box surrounding Groom's airspace. Surveillance is supplemented using buried motion sensors. Area 51 is a common destination for Janet, a small fleet of passenger aircraft operated on behalf of the Air Force to transport military personnel, primarily from Harry Reid International Airport. The United States Geological Survey topographic map for the area only shows the long-disguised, disused Groom Mine, but the USGS aerial photographs of the site in 1959 and 1968 were publicly available. A civil aviation chart published by the Nevada Department of Transportation shows a large restricted area defined as part of the Nellis Restricted Airspace. The National Atlas shows the area as lying within the Nellis Air Force Base. There are higher resolution and newer images available from other satellite imagery providers, including Russian providers and the IKO-NOS. These show the runway markings, base facilities, aircraft, and vehicles. In 1998, the U.S. Air Force officially acknowledged the site's existence. On June 25, 2013, the CIA released an official history of the U-2 and Oxcart projects, which acknowledged that the U-2 was tested at Area 51 in response to a Freedom of Information Act request submitted in 2005 by Jeffrey T. Reichelson of George Washington University's National Security Archive. It contains numerous references to Area 51 and Groom Lake, along with a map of the area. Media reports stated that releasing the CIA history was the first governmental acknowledgement of Area 51's existence. Rather, it was the first official acknowledgement of specific activity at the site. Environmental Lawsuit 
1994, five unnamed civilian contractors and the widows of contractors Walter Kazra and Robert Frost sued the U.S. Air Force and United States Environmental Protection Agency. They alleged that they had been present when large quantities of unknown chemicals had been burned in open pits and trenches at Groom. Rutgers University biochemists analyzed biopsies from the complainants and found high levels of dioxin and triethylene in their body fat. The complainants announced that they had sustained skin, liver, and respiratory injuries due to their work at Groom Lake and that this had contributed to the deaths of Frost and Kaza. The suit sought compensation for the injuries, claiming that the Air Force had illegally handled toxic materials and that the EPA had failed in its duty to enforce the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, which governs the handling of dangerous materials. They also sought detailed information about the chemicals, hoping that this would facilitate the medical treatment of the survivors. Congressman Lee H. Hamilton, former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, told 60 Minutes reporter Leslie Stahl, quote, The Air Force is classifying all information about Area 51 in order to protect themselves from a lawsuit. The government invoked the Secrets State privilege and petitioned the U.S. District Judge Philip Pro to disallow disclosure of classified documents or examination of secret witnesses, claiming that this would expose classified information and threaten national security. Judge Pro rejected the government's argument, so President Bill Clinton issued a presidential determination exempting what it called, quote, the Air Force's operating location near Groom Lake, Nevada, from environmental disclosure laws. Consequently, Pro dismissed the suit due to lack of evidence. Turley appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit on the grounds that the government was abusing its power to declassify material. Secretary of the Air Force Sheila E. Windle filed a brief which stated that disclosures of the materials present in the air and water near Groom, quote, can reveal military operational capabilities or the nature and scope of classified operations. The Ninth Circuit rejected Turley's appeal, and the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear it, putting an end to the complainant's case. The president annually issues a, ter- a determination continuing the Groom Lake exception, which is the only formal recognition that the government has ever given that Groom Lake is more than simply another part of the Nellis complex. An unclassified memo on the safe handling of F-17 Nighthawk material was posted on an Air Force website in 2005. This discussed the same materials for which the complainants had requested information, which the government had claimed was classified. The memo was removed shortly after journalists became aware of it. legal status. U.S. government's positions on Area 51. The United States government has provided minimal information regarding Area 51. The area surrounding the lake is permanently off-limits to both civilian and normal military air traffic. Security clearances are checked regularly. Cameras and weaponry are not allowed. Even military pilots training in the NAFR risk disciplinary action if they stray into the exclusionary box surrounding Groom's airspace. 
Surveillance is supplemented using buried motion sensors. Area 51 is a common destination for Janet, a small fleet of passenger aircraft operated on behalf of the Air Force to transport military personnel, primarily from Harry Reid International Airport. The United States Geological Survey topographic map for the area only shows the long-disguised, disused Groom Mine, but the USGS aerial photographs of the site in 1959 and 1968 were publicly available. A civil aviation chart published by the Nevada Department of Transportation shows a large restricted area defined as part of the Nellis Restricted Airspace. The National Atlas shows the area as lying within the Nellis Air Force Base. There are higher resolution and newer images available from other satellite imagery providers, including Russian providers and the IKONOS. These show the runway markings, base facilities, aircraft, and vehicles. In 1998, the U.S. Air Force officially acknowledged the site's existence. On June 25, 2013, the CIA released an official history of the U-2 and Oxcart projects, which acknowledged that the U-2 was tested at Area 51 in response to a Freedom of Information Act request submitted in 2005 by Jeffrey T. Reichelson of George Washington University's National Security Archive. It contains numerous references to Area 51 and Groom Lake, along with a map of the area. Media reports stated that releasing the CIA history was the first governmental acknowledgement of Area 51's existence. Rather, it was the first official acknowledgement of specific activity at the site. Environmental Lawsuit in 1994, five unnamed civilian contractors and the widows of contractors Walter Kazra and Robert Frost sued the U.S. Air Force and United States Environmental Protection Agency. They alleged that they had been present when large quantities of unknown chemicals had been burned in open pits and trenches at Groom. Rutgers University biochemists analyzed biopsies from the complainants and found high levels of dioxin and triethylene in their body fat. The complainants announced that they had sustained skin, liver, and respiratory injuries due to their work at Groom Lake, and that this had contributed to the deaths of Frost and Kaza. The suit sought compensation for the injuries, claiming that the Air Force had illegally handled toxic materials and that the EPA had failed in its duty to enforce the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, which governs the handling of dangerous materials. They also sought detailed information about the chemicals, hoping that this would facilitate the medical treatment of the survivors. Congressman Lee H. Hamilton, former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, told 60 Minutes reporter Leslie Stahl, quote, The Air Force is classifying all information about Area 51 in order to protect themselves from a lawsuit. The government invoked the Secrets State privilege and petitioned the U.S. District Judge Philip Pro to disallow disclosure of classified documents or examination of secret witnesses, claiming that this would expose classified information and threaten national security. Judge Pro rejected the government's argument, so President Bill Clinton issued a presidential determination exempting what it called, quote, the Air Force's operating location near Groom Lake, Nevada, from environmental disclosure laws. Consequently, Pro dismissed the suit due to lack of evidence. 
Turley appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit on the grounds that the government was abusing its power to declassify material. Secretary of the Air Force Sheila E. Wendell filed a brief which stated that disclosures of the materials present in the air and water near Groom, quote, can reveal military operational capabilities or the nature and scope of classified operations. The Ninth Circuit rejected Turley's appeal, and the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear it, putting an end to the complainant's case. The president annually issues a, ter- a determination continuing the Groom Lake exception, which is the only formal recognition that the government has ever given that Groom Lake is more than simply another part of the Nellis complex. An unclassified memo on the safe handling of F-17 Nighthawk material was posted on an Air Force website in 2005. The, this discussed the same materials for which the complainants had requested information, which the government had claimed was classified. The memo was removed shortly after journalists became aware of it. Security. The perimeter of the base is marked out by orange posts and patrolled by guards in white pickup trucks and camouflage fatigues. The guards are properly referred to as camo dudes by enthusiasts. The guards will not answer questions about their employers. However, according to the New York Daily News, there are indications that they are employed through a contractor such as AECOM. Signage around the base perimeter advises that deadly force is authorized against trespassers. Technology is also heavily used to maintain the border of the base. This includes surveillance cameras and motion detectors. Some of these motion detectors are placed some distance away from the base on public land to notify guards of people approaching. 1974 Skylab Photography Security The perimeter of the base is marked out by orange posts and patrolled by guards in white pickup trucks and camouflage fatigues. The guards are properly referred to as camo dudes by enthusiasts. The guards will not answer questions about their employers. However, according to the New York Daily News, there are indications that they are employed through a contractor such as AECOM. Signage around the base perimeter advises that deadly force is authorized against trespassers. Technology is also heavily used to maintain the border of the base. This includes surveillance cameras and motion detectors. Some of these motion detectors are placed some distance away from the base on public land to notify guards of people approaching. 1974 Skylab Photography Twenty nineteen shooting incident. On january twenty eighth, twenty nineteen, an unidentified man drove through a security checkpoint near Mercury, Nevada, in an apparent attempt to enter the base. After an eight mile vehicle pursuit by base security, the man exited his vehicle carrying a cylindrical object and was shot dead by NNSS security officers and sheriff's deputies after refusing to obey requests to halt. There were no other injuries reported.
the UFO and other conspiracy theories. Area 51 has become a focus of modern conspiracy theories due to its secretive nature and connection to classified aircraft research. These theories include the storage, examination, and reverse engineering of crashed alien spacecraft, including material supposedly recovered at Roswell, the study of their occupants, and the manufacture of aircraft based on alien technology. Meetings or joint undertakings with extraterrestrials, the development of exotic energy weapons for strategic defense initiative or other weapons programs, the development of weather control, the development of time travel and teleportation technology, the development of exotic propulsion systems related to the Aurora program, activities related to a shadowy one world government or the Majestic 12 organization. Many of the hypotheses concern underground facilities at Groom or Papoose Lake, 8.5 miles south, and include claims of transcontinental underground railroad system, a disappearing airstrip nicknamed the Cheshire Airstrip after Lewis Carroll's Cheshire Cat, which briefly appears when water is sprayed onto its camouflaged asphalt, and engineering based on alien technology. In the mid-1950s, civilian aircraft flew under 20,000 feet, while military aircraft flew up to 40,000 feet. The U-2 began flying above 60,000 feet, and there was an increasing number of UFO sighting reports. Sightings occurred most often during early evening hours, when airline pilots flying west saw U-2's silver wings reflecting the setting sun, giving the aircraft a fiery appearance. Many sighting reports came to the Air Force's Project Blue Book, which investigated UFO sightings through, though through air traffic controllers and letters to the government. The project checked U-2 and later Oxcart flight records to eliminate the majority of UFO reports that it received during the late 50s and 60s, although it could not reveal to the letter writers the truth behind what they saw. Similarly, veterans of experimental projects such as Oxcart at Area 51 agree that their work inadvertently prompted many of the UFO sightings and other rumors. They believe that the rumors helped maintain secrecy over Area 51's actual operations. The veterans deny the existence of a vast underground railroad system, although many of Area 51's operations did occur underground. Bob Lazar later claimed in 1989 that he had worked at Area 51's Sector 4, said to be located underground in the Papoose Range near Papoose Lake. He claimed that he was contracted to work with alien spacecraft that the government had in its possession. Similarly, the 1996 documentary Dreamland, directed by Bruce Burgess, included an interview with a 71-year-old mechanical engineer who claimed to be a former employee at Area 51 during the 1950s. His claims included that he had worked on a, quote, flying disc simulator, which had been based on a disc originating from a crashed extraterrestrial craft and was used to train pilots. He also claimed to have worked with an extraterrestrial named J-Rod and described him as a telepathic translator. In 2004, Dan Bursich, pseudonym of Dan Crane, claimed to have worked on a cloning alien virus at Area 51 and also alongside the alien named J-Rod. 
Bursich's scholarly credentials are the subject of much debate, as he was apparently working as a Las Vegas parole officer in 1989, while also earning a PhD at State University of New York. In July 2019, more than 2 million people responded to a joke proposal to storm Area 51, which appeared in an anonymous Facebook post. The event, scheduled for September 20th, 2019, was billed as, quote, Storm Area 51, they can't stop all of us, as an attempt to, quote, see them aliens. Air Force spokeswoman Laura McAndrews said the government, quote, would discourage anyone from trying to come into the area where we train American armed forces. Two music festivals in rural Nevada, Alien Stock and Storm Area 51 Base Camp, were subsequently organized to capitalize on the popularity of the original Facebook event. Between 1,500 and 3,000 people showed up at the festivals, while over 150 people made the journey over several miles of rough roads to get to the gates to Area 51. Seven people were reportedly arrested at the event. And see also, see also Area 52, Black Operation, Black Project, Black Site, List of United States Air Force Installations, Special Access Program. Oh, thank you.